Welcome, this is Jessica Ortner and our time together is dedicated to feeling good within all of life's complexities. We'll be going on a wandering path, exploring topics like spirituality, productivity, and personal fulfillment. Because happiness is not a destination, it's an adventure. So welcome to Adventures in Happiness. Hey friends, I'm really excited about this show. So there's a lot of research around mental illness, which is important. But what about the research and science around what makes happy people happy? Well, today you're going to learn about positive psychology and how you can use it to improve the quality of your life. To lead the way, we are speaking to a really dear friend of mine, Alex Jameson. Alex is a rock star. She is a best-selling author, functional nutrition, and positive psychology coach. She has been featured on Oprah, The Today Show, and Dr. Oz, among many others. She was the co-creator of the Oscar-nominated documentary, Super Size Me, and she has a great podcast that you should check out. It's called Her Rules Radio, and her latest book is Women, Food, and Desire. I also have to mention again that she's one of my closest friends. She's been at my bachelorette party and my wedding. We've gone through so much together. And I can honestly say that from you know knowing her so well, this woman has just inc- an incredible amount of integrity and I love her to death. So I'm so happy that she joined us today. So before we jump in and chat with Alex, I want to just share something quickly about our sponsor. So I, as you know, I'm obsessed with my Juve light. It's an infrared light, and it's been a game changer when it comes to my mood and overall health. So this light, you stand in front of it, and it's clinically proven to improve skin clarity, tone, and texture. A lot of people started to get into infrared lights because a lot of spas were using them to help with wrinkles and just the your skin in general. But it's also been clinically proven to increase testosterone in men. It reduces joint inflammation. So for those of you who have fibromyalgia or other chronic pain, it's something to check out. And it fades scars and stretch marks. I mentioned it earlier, but I had a burn from taking something out of the oven. I've had it for three years now, and it's finally completely faded away. Every time I use it, it fades more, and now I can't even I can't even find it. I'm looking at my wrist right now. Uh, it's truly incredible. So if you want to learn more, you can go to juve, J-O-O-V-V, dot shop forward slash the tapping solution. Again, that's J-O-O-V-V dot shop forward slash the tapping solution. And if you use the discount code tapping, T-A-P-P-I-N-G, you'll receive $25 off your purchase. So check that out. The next thing I need to mention, it's not an official sponsor, but he's my brother and I'm really proud of him and I have to brag if it's okay with all of you. Um, My brother Nick has just come out with a new children's book and it's called My Magic Breath. This book is teaching children how to find calm through mindful breathing. It's really sweet. It's really short. The illustrations are adorable. Um, I have a three-year-old niece, June, Nick's daughter, and he reads to her all the time and teaching a young child the power of their breath, how to use their breath when they're feeling upset, how to feel calm, how to release their troubles is so powerful. And again, it's just a super cute book. So it's on Amazon now. It's My Magic Breath, Finding Calm Through Mindful Breathing by Nick Ortner. And Nick, if you're listening to this, so proud of you. It's an amazing book. Congratulations. So without any further ado, here's Alex. 
So, Alex. Yes. Let's jump in. Let's do it. Um, I remember a while, I guess it was a few years ago, having lunch with you, and I had never seen you so enthusiastic, and you were telling me about positive psychology and how you started, you had begun to study it. So I think the best place to start is just to have an introduction of what positive psychology really is. Yeah, so positive psychology is a relatively new branch of psychology. It's maybe 25, 30 years old. And it's really the the science of what's great. So old the old way that we use psychology is what's wrong with you, right? right? Yeah. Positive psychology is what's going well? What's what are your strengths? What's great? Like what's right with you instead of what's wrong with you? So Marty Seligman is considered the granddaddy of positive psychology, and he started looking at how we can build on our strengths. And I thought that was such a fabulous idea when I was I was only introduced to this whole realm of psychology in the last three or four years. And it seemed like such an obvious, intuitive, brilliant idea. You know what I mean? Like, I heard it. and I was like, oh, of course. Like, it's kind what? of one of those things that you hear and you're like, why didn't I think about that? Like, why or why have I been working on what's wrong with me and not building my strength? And I think it's because that's just what our culture always does. It's like you we're not trained to think that way until someone puts it in front of us and we go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I want to know why happy people are happy. Right. Well, it's also very human. We come pre-programmed with what's called negativity bias. Yes. And it's a wonderful survival tool. It's a, a strategy for staying alive where we're always looking for what's wrong or dangerous in our immediate environment so that we can avoid danger. Right. It's what keeps us alive. It's what keeps us from stepping off the curb into traffic. But it can become obsessive. And life is so full Life has, you know, we're living longer than ever before. We're taking in more information every day than people used to take in in a year. And so we are overwhelmed with this negativity bias. The other thing I love about positive psych is that it really is science-based. Now, it, it gives us a lot of really proven techniques showing that some of the, the self-help and the you know, personal growth stuff that we've been playing with for years and years, there's actually nuanced ways to make those things really effective, which I really want to talk about in a bit. And there are some things that we've been doing that really need to be changed and flipped a little bit because we're, we're actually doing a few things wrong. So I know that your listeners are going to have some big insights from this conversation. Yeah, no, and I, I, want to get into those details. But first, can you share just some examples of how positive psychology has either benefited your life or the life of a client? Because we often hear, you know, we have so many examples of just different therapies or they've been around for a lot longer. Can you kind of share some evidence that shows this really works? Absolutely. And I'll tell you my, my very personal story of why I was so committed to learning about it, and I actually went back to school to get a, a positive psychology certification. Um, 
I learned about it at a lecture that I attended with the woman who ended up being my mentor, Amelia Zhivotovskaya. I love saying her last name. <laughs> so Amelia was talking about how she she was one of the first graduating classes from UPenn who got her master's in applied positive psychology. And her project uh, to get her master's was to go to an elementary school in Australia and teach the children and the teachers how to use positive psychology to create a supportive school environment. And when she detailed and talked about what they did, I i mean, it brought tears to my eyes. I have a son who's now 11. At the time, he was about six or seven. And he had just been diagnosed with ADD and dyslexia. And he was, it was so heartbreaking. He was coming home from school crying, telling me that he was dumb, that he hated himself, that he wished that he was like the other kids because everybody else was finishing their work first and they got to go outside and play and he had to stay inside and finish. And it was just torturous. Here was this beautiful, wonderful, you know, of course, I think he's amazing, but he's he, was, he is a super smart kid, but he was only focused on what was quote unquote wrong with him. And I was like, I don't know how to help him. Like, I I just kept saying, I love you. You're amazing. You know, let's figure this out. Everything's going to be okay. But I was like, how do I actually help him think differently about this? And when I heard Amelia talk and I started learning about positive psych, I was like, sign me up. I am doing the full program. I need to know everything about this. And over the last few years, we now have a vocabulary in our home that has definitely bled into my work, like almost immediately it started showing up in my coaching with my clients, that there is a way that we can look at our challenges. There's a way that we can build on our strengths. There's a way that we can shift our mindset so that we feel more resilient, so that we have more grit, and so that we just enjoy ourselves and appreciate our lives more. So, you know, personally, I, we have adopted one specific word that I use with my clients. I use it myself. I use it with my husband. I use it with my kid. Like this one tiny little word. It's a three letter word that I use with my clients. And by the time we've been working together for a couple of months, they start using it and it stops them from shutting down. It keeps them looking for answers. It keeps them curious. It keeps them moving. And isn't that something that you and I, like you and I are, are book writers, you know, we get stuck, mm-hmm. right? We, we're like, ah, I don't know what to do. What do I do to get out of this? So this little three-letter word is the most powerful tool that I teach people at first. And it's the word yet. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what to do about this yet. I don't know how to feed myself yet. I don't know how to do algebra Yet, I mean, you can really tack it onto the end of any sentence, the end of any thought where you're feeling stuck, and it helps you acknowledge in a moment, I can figure this out. Mm. And what difference did it make in your son's life? So you were inspired because he was struggling in school. How has the the conversation changed in your home? Or, or you're sharing how it has changed, but how has that affected him and how he feels about school? Well, he's, he's just a lot more kind to himself. Mm. 
Which is so powerful. You know, one of the things that stops us from being able to learn is when we tell ourselves that we're dumb and we're never going to get it, right? Yeah. And he, you know, he's, you know, we all have it still sometimes, but he doesn't get stuck in it. And he now loves math. Like he hated math a couple years ago. And with, you know, the help of a great teacher who he adores and all of these positive psychology tools, and I'm going to share a bunch of them here as we talk, he now, go, like he asked if we could change his schedule so that he could go to math club every Thursday. Like that is a huge <laughs> difference. It's awesome. Yeah. No, that is amazing. And and I think what's amazing about this conversation is that obviously we're listening because we want to learn how we can use these tools for ourselves. But I think a lot of us are either parents or caregivers or just friends. Um, we have other people. We don't live in a bubble. We have other people in our life that we want to support. So I love that these are tools that we can use for ourselves, but we can also use them with the people around us. Yeah, for sure. So we know that the word yet, it just that simple thing of when you feel stuck ending with yet is incredibly powerful. What are some other of your favorite tools? Well, you know, I have to I have to go back just a, yeah. a moment to what you just said about how we don't live in a bubble. Mm. Marty Seligman will say, you know, you can boil positive psychology down to three words. Other people matter. It's our relationships with people and our beliefs about whether we are deserving, lovable, you know, how we interact with other people, with the world that truly impacts our mindset as well as these tools that I'm going to share. So other people matter. It is how we show up with people as well as ourselves. So that is just a really foundational part of this. Um, so one of the tools that I first learned about, which I was like, oh, I love that one. That's one of my favorite things, <laughs> is savoring. So savoring is, you know, we get a lot of advice on how to cope with life's negative events, right? Yeah. From divorce and ill health. Um, but what about dealing with the good moments? You know, if we assume that when good things happen, people naturally feel joy for it. But if you're like me, you will experience joy for like five seconds or a few minutes. And we don't always hold on to that. We don't always respond to the good things in ways that maximize their positive effects on our lives. So there is this concept of savoring or being mindfully engaged and aware of your feelings during positive events that can really increase your happiness and your well-being in the short term and the long term. And savoring is kind of defined like it's like swishing the experience around in your mind. You know, like you savor a bite of really good food and you're like, mmm, and you really like you take a moment and you really taste the food in your mouth. Right. Savoring a positive experience is like swishing the experience around in your mind, like really getting into it. And it's also a great thing to do with actual food, right? <laughs> like <laughs> besides the the other because the other day um, I had a the, you know the Justin's peanut butter cups. I, I I love them. I, I got one. I went grocery shopping. I brought one home. I was on the couch by myself, and my husband walks in, 
And he goes, what are you doing? Because I was just like alone, quiet, kind of like on the corner of my couch, eating this peanut butter cup so slow, like so slow. And I just was like, I'm just like savoring this because I don't have it all the time. It's just so good. And it's something I would never do before. I mean, we've talked a lot um because you have an amazing book about cravings and food, and it's something I write about as well. But it's like sometimes in life, instead of savoring things, we just have this like guilt thing, or or we, we don't allow ourselves to like enjoy something. We just feel guilty and move on. Um, yeah. We kind of experience everything too quickly. And I find that the reason there's such a connection between the way that we eat and the way that we live. And, you know, allowing ourselves to savor things and being present instead of like being on our phone and reading you know, do something else is is just so important. Like I, I don't like to have that many rules in my life, but my husband knows that my one non-negotiable is if I'm eating, I don't want the TV on. I don't like yeah. I want to be able to just be really present with my food. And I know we're talking about life, but I really feel like they're both connected. I think that by being present with your life, you learn to be present with your food and vice versa. Absolutely. I one of my my mantras or one of my expressions is we think about food and our bodies all the time, but we rarely take the time to really eat and feel our bodies. Yes. And that that goes along absolutely with savoring uh, your food and your experiences. Um, we what's really frustrating, what's really hard and your audience members are definitely falling in this camp is that they're really smart, right? Like mm -hmm. the people you work with, the people I work with, really smart people. They know a lot. And the brain likes to rush. And we get really, uh, we get in this fast, fast lifestyle. And we don't slow down. We think it's um, a waste of time, right? We get anxious. So slowing down and savoring can be um, kind of a clunky at first, little challenge, but I have a few ways that people can learn or start savoring today right away. Um, you can share your good feelings with others. So I don't know if you remember, Jess, but we had a dinner with a bunch of ladies in Manhattan a while back. And we all sat down and I was like, hey, what's new and good? Like, let's start yes. the dinner with a celebration. And because usually it's the opposite, like as enlightened as you might think you are, it's very easy to sit with a bunch of girlfriends and fall into some gossip or just what's not going right. And I think there is a time and a place for that when we need to when we want to get something off our chest. But sometimes it just becomes this habit and we don't build the habit of, wait, let's celebrate like what's actually going great in our life. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that's sometimes born from a culture of complaint or mm -hmm. we don't want to, we don't want to feel like we're shining our, our light too brightly. Or we bragging. Don't wanna, right. Brag. Oh, I love bragging. I encourage every, everyone to brag around me. But people me. hate it. that word. Like we, as a group of friends, we're okay with that word. We say, oh yeah, yeah, brag, tell me. But that's something that we've worked on because I think Outside of our circle, I think the majority of people in our society look at the word bragging as a very bad thing to do. Oh, absolutely. You know, I was raised by a, a Baptist and a Methodist, and bragging was definitely not encouraged. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of reasons why people don't do it. But the science shows that if you share what's good with 
friends, with colleagues. The research shows that you will feel better and it actually develops stronger bonds with other people. So people who savor together stay together. It really helps relationships. Do you have Um, any advice for someone who wants to share good news, but they're almost so out of the habit that they're scared it will be taken the wrong way or they still have this fear of bragging? Is there a certain way to share that's positive that, you know, like what would you say to someone who's like, I'm just scared people are going to think I'm conceited because I'm talking about myself? So you can even say that at the beginning. You can mm. you can text a friend if it feels like that's a safer way to do it than saying it out loud or in person. And you can even start it with, I'm nervous to even share this because I don't want to be seen as bragging, but I trust you and I wanted to share this great thing with you. I really want to celebrate and then encourage them to celebrate something back with you. Right. Sometimes simply being like, is it okay if I brag almost makes it more playful, like you're aware of what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great tip. So another thing you can do is just congratulate yourself, you know, pat yourself on the back. Actually, I just interviewed our mutual friend, Dr. Christian Northrup on her new book, um, Dodging Energy Vampires, which was amazing. And she, she really talks about this in her book as well, that patting yourself on the back, taking credit for your work, um, is, is, Again, research shows that people who revel in their successes are more likely to enjoy and prolong the benefits, the outcome. So pat yourself on the back for everything. Even if you screw up, you're like, you know what? I screwed up marvelously today. (laughs) But I did something. I tried. Pat myself on the back. Yeah, I tried. I tried. And the the other thing about savoring that's interesting that I love so much because so much of my work is body-based. It's body, mind, and spirit. And to get our bodies into the game, to experience more joy in our bodies, experiencing our bodies, is to use your senses, sharpen your sensory perceptions, you know, use what you see, you know, as you're in a a lovely moment, like I had such a sweet day with my son for Mother's Day, and we were gardening, and I was like, oh, let's smell the flower, and oh, feel this dirt, like use your, your Mm. touch, your taste, your smell, really bring it into a full body experience that really, really helps. Yeah, I feel like a big theme here is to let yourself savor without the need of having to earn it. Because I think that's a trap Mm -hmm. people fall into. They think, all right, yeah, I'll savor it once I finish the project or once (laughs) I get that new job or once I'm in the relationship, then I'll really savor it. Yes. Oh, the qualified savoring. Yeah, I'll, I'll savor it once I blank. And the trick is that you're more likely to keep going and achieve more if you honor yourself for your efforts. You know, we, we're so good at doing that with our kids, right? We really, we encourage them. And I'm, I'm the same way with my son. Like, you know, it took him time to learn his multiplication tables. He's, you know, he's learning Spanish, all these things. Like, we don't tell them, you like, let's remember when they're toddlers, like they're learning how to walk, they stand up, they fall down, they take a step, they fall over. You don't say you dumb baby, you're terrible. And you should never walk again. Like, just give up. Right. <laughs> right? So, 
you know, you just keep doing it because you know they got to do it. You know it's going to happen. Well, we need to do that for ourselves. Like, oh, fell down again. Okay, let's get up. Try again. So having that kind of loving attitude is really helpful. Right. And it seems to me like there's there's a time and place to say maybe look deeper of if there's something that we need to clear or, or be honest about our resistance. And then there's also a time and place for for not like psychoanalyzing ourselves every minute. Right. Like I think there's something I know with tapping, it's really powerful to ask certain questions to be like, what does this when you feel triggered? What does this remind you of? Mm -hmm. And to really get to the root of why something might feel scary or uncomfortable. Um, And there's a lot of power in that. And I also feel like when we start on that path, we have to be careful to not get so caught that every time we make a mistake, we kind of analyze ourselves so much instead of being like, oh, this is just part of the human experience. Is this falling? All right. Yeah. You know, life is filled with paradox. Right. right. <laughs> I am totally dedicated and love positive psychology. I use it all the time. Very curious about it. I teach it. And I think anger and sadness and depression are totally valid experiences in this life. So this is not a way of encouraging you to be a Pollyanna. I'm not saying like everything should be amazing all the time. And no, it's not like that. It's honoring all aspects of yourself and seeing that at a a certain point in your healing, you will want to and you will seek for tools to help you make some shifts. And these positive psychology tools are really wonderful, I think very simple, usable strategies that you can use. I love it. So we've already learned about the power of saying yet when we feel stuck. I don't know the answer yet. And also the power of savoring. So what are some other positive psychology tools that we can use? Well, this one is going to at first sound like, oh, yeah, I heard this before, but I'm about to turn gratitude practices on their head. Are you ready? I'm ready. You learn. Okay. Yeah. So gratitude is actually um, it's a whole field of study in positive psychology and a lot of other schools of thought. But I have to say the way that most people teach it is actually detrimental to us feeling real gratitude. So I definitely experienced this for years and I was so happy to hear how to rejigger my gratitude practices in a way that felt like, oh, I can do that. And now I do it all the time. Here's what most people learn, either from magazine articles or books or teachers. They are encouraged to like keep a gratitude journal and write down 10 gratitudes at the end of every day or sometimes five. But, you know, it's like a daily, like come up with a list of 10 things. Come on, everyone can find 10 things. Actually, what the research shows is that if you can't think of 10 you start to feel like, oh, I'm not doing it right. I don't have enough gratitudes. Things aren't good enough. If it's even a little bit of a struggle to reach 10 gratitudes, then you'll stop doing it. And I can tell you that from experience. I have started and stopped gratitude journals a thousand times (laughs) because of that exact thing. If it doesn't feel truly authentic and effortless, then it feel, then it starts to feel like a burden and we stop 
doing it. So here's the way to change it. Really simple. Think of one gratitude a day or make it a a weekly ritual of three things from the week. And we actually play a little game at dinner uh, in our family. And every night that we sit down to dinner, we do high-low hero. And this is something that I think my son learned at school, but we started doing it. And we all go around and we talk about our high point for the day, our low point for the day, which honors that, you know, life is tough and sometimes bad things happen and it happens for kids and adults. And then we talk about our hero point, some something that we did that helped someone else. So we do this little round robin high-low hero and it helps us acknowledge, it does a lot of things at once. We get to share gratitude. We get to be really honest about, you know, the diversity of our experiences and we get to kind of celebrate and brag a little bit. So cut down the amount of gratitudes you're pressuring yourself to do. Do one a day. That's fine. I love that. I also love that you said like the diversity of a of a day. I think that's really powerful and a, and a powerful lesson for kids to know that just because you had a bad moment or a difficult moment in the day doesn't mean you had a bad day. It's like every yeah. day has a high point and a low point. Yeah, and something else that I realized a couple years ago with my son and and I know I do this, it's this comparison trap. And So I'm a writer. I'm also a painter. My son's father is a film director. Um, You know, my husband plays guitar beautifully. So my kid sees all of these professional creatives in his life. But he only sees us after we've been doing it for 20 or 30 years, right? He only sees, oh, my mom's written four books and Bob plays guitar amazingly. But he doesn't see the struggle and the practice. So sharing what is hard. And and we actually make a point of doing this like, oh, man, I sat down to write today and I really struggled. I didn't get very far. We, We share that as much as we share our gratitudes and our successes because it is it's honest and it helps him learn. And it reminds us that we are still making progress. Things are going in the right direction and it is possible to grow and change. It just takes that commitment. Yeah. I have seen a big shift in just the arena of personal help and personal development where maybe 10 or 15 years ago, the experts were almost like the gurus and they were they were just kind of telling you the steps to take and the different strategies. And now there's so many more books that are coming out um, and so many more leaders that talk about the, the struggle and the vulnerability. And I think there's yeah. something not I, I love that you're because I never thought about sharing those things with kids, but that's such a great point. And also, I think it helps each other. You know, when we mm-hmm. learn that these people that we look up to and respect also have their challenges, I think it makes us feel like, oh, I, I can have my challenges without feeling like it means anything. It doesn't mean I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy or I'll never get there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I really wanted to share one other realm of yes. positive psychology tool that I think is so rich. And it really goes back to, you know, that question that defines positive psychology. What's right with you? Mm, yes. What's right with you? And sometimes it's really hard for us to remember 
what is right with me? Oh, I don't know. I can name all the things that are not right with me. Well, there is a whole realm of study about strengths. And there are 24 defined character strengths that are really evident in the most widely influential traditions of thought in human history. And there's great robust evidence of all 24 strengths existing throughout time and in all cultures of the world. And here's the cool thing. You, you know, there's there's all these quizzes online that you can go take that tell you your strengths in order from most strong to least strong. But that's actually a key concept. All 24 strengths exist in you. You have all the strengths. Some are just stronger than others. And when you look at them from bravery to forgiveness, integrity, gratitude, um, one of my strengths always tends to be um, love of learning. Love of learning is always in my top five. And I was so relieved and happy when I learned that. I didn't even know that was a strength. In fact, I saw it as a weakness. And I'll tell you why. I thought I was just really easily distracted. I was always beating myself up that I didn't, I didn't dive into one field of study. I'm like, I don't know everything about this topic, but I know a lot about a lot of different topics because my mind is so curious and I'm always reading six different books at the same time. And when I learned that love of learning is a strength, I was like, oh, thank goodness. I'm so <laughs> like it, it took all this pressure off and it really does fill you. And I've seen this with clients all the time. I always have them take a strengths quiz. And when they see, oh, like love of beauty, you know, really, um, you know, decorating or, you know, making sure your home is orderly or, or artistry, like those things can be a strength as well. And when they see it reframed as a strength, then it really starts to build appreciation for yourself. You start to feel much more at home in your life. It puts your life into a different perspective. Oh, I love that. That's wonderful. And I know you have a lot of resources on your website. Can you tell us just a bit about that? Because you have an effort list. I won't say the real word because <laughs> okay. I don't know, just in case kids are listening. But All right. We tell won't us say about the real that. word. But here's what I noticed. So as I started teaching clients and in you know, webinars, et cetera, about positive psychology and how to use it and starting with this question, what's right with you? What do you want? Right. You know, what's pulling you forward, focusing on the positive. A lot of people will say to me, I don't know what I want. I know what I don't want. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh, OK. <laughs> so I realized that we Again, this um, negativity bias is very strong in us. And at first, it can be really hard to flip your mindset around to what you do want or what is going well. So, okay, I thought, let's reverse engineer this. Let's use our natural predilection for negativity bias and use it to our advantage. So I wrote a book called how to write your F it list, like how to write your bucket list. But with an F. <laughs> and this is a really fun, sassy guide to creating a list 
of what you're tired of doing, of what you're sick of, of what you don't want to feel anymore, right? The heavy stuff that you've been carrying around. And then I take you through the positive psychology tools to flip it around so that you then have, ah, I don't want that. So now I know that I want this. It's just Mm. a really simple version of flipping it your mindset around, but in a way that takes you through some positive psychology tools to get there. And then once you have that list, you're like, oh, I I know what I want. I know what I like. I know who I am. So I created this free ebook, how to write your effort list. And people really love it. That's amazing. And you're uh, providing it to all of the listeners. I'm going to put the link in the notes. So the tappingsolution.com forward slash notes, you'll get the direct link to that. Um, Alex, if you have a few more minutes, I have some questions I like to ask every guest. Oh, Are you yes, up for it? Uh-huh. Okay. Can you share with us something that when it happened at the time, it was horrible and it ended up becoming a really big blessing? Oh, my gosh. How much time do we have? <laughs> you can only pick one. <laughs> okay. Well, I do jokingly say that my life is a list of successful failures, and that's really true for all of us. Any successful person you've met, they have failed a lot more than they've succeeded. Mm -hmm. So my biggest thing was, um, you know, I was a a vegan chef and a vegan health expert. I wrote three books on vegan diet and eating and cooking. And I, after about 10 years of being vegan, I ended up getting very sick and discovered that I needed to eat animal protein again. And you and I, you know, we... We've known each other for a while, so you know this story, but it was so challenging because it not only affected the people I hung out with, I hung out with a lot of people in the vegan community, but it affected my business. It was such an identity crisis, and it ended up being the absolute best thing for my health and also for my work in the world. As you, you know, as you have to be honest I just had to say, look, this is what's going on for me. This is what I need. And as you become more brave and more courageous and be really honest about your truth, you will find the people uh, who aren't actually your friends and are not on the journey with you of authentic self-expression. And you will find the people who are going to have your back no matter what, even if you change totally how you eat. So that's what I discovered. And it, and it allowed me to write my latest book, Women, Food, and Desire. I just have to say, so I was there when all of this was unfolding, and I know how horrible it was, and to the point you were even getting death threats, and it yeah. it was very, very intense, and I just remember having so, I can like, I'm like tearing up, like honestly, I remember that moment, and I remember like having so much respect for you, and like how much I admired you, because you could have lied, and you could have hid this truth, and you could have just played a role. And instead, you chose the really hard decision of just being your authentic self and having a really compassionate, honest conversation about what was happening with your health and what you discovered. And, um, and I just think you're, I think you're amazing. I mean, I, I saw you go through that. And it was just one of the most incredible things as a friend to witness. And it was a lesson in my life that things can get you can be in the middle of the storm but the storm passes you know and and, and it's friends like you who are like girl i love you no matter what you eat you know <laughs> it really is it's the friends who come to your side and they're like 
you know, tell me what's going on for you. I honor you. I'm here for you. That makes it possible. Yes. So thank you. Of course. Um, oh, man, that made me really emotional. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, I just remember it so well. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. And my last question is not so deep. It's kind of a ridiculous question, but I personally love it. If you could be any animal, what would you be and why? <gasps> oh, easy. I'd be a sea otter because they're adorable. Oh I love them so yes. much. And they but cuddle and they hold hands. They hold hands and they float around. And I <laughs> – so I – Go ahead. And they just eat seafood all day. I mean, they lie on their back and eat and cuddle. I think that's the best choice. I always go with gorilla because they're kind of the same. They just like, they just lie around. They're strong, but they just hang out and they cuddle a lot and they just eat all day. So it's kind of the, it's what I love about the sea otter. Random sea otter facts because I lived for a year in Morrow Bay where I saw sea otters every day. So when the sea otter is a baby, it can't float or like swim on its own, but it has this little pocket in its fur. And so what the mom does is it blows into this pocket of fur and the baby just kind of blows up like a little bouncy balloon and the it can bounce for like 15 minutes by itself while the mom dives to go get food. Balloon babies. Um, they're like little balloon babies. And then the other cool thing I know about them is that they are one of the few animals that use tools. So they'll find like a certain rock that they love and they'll keep it in their fur. And every time they need to open up a clam, they use that rock and they'll like keep that rock forever. Yes, so they cool. are so my there's- favorite they're smart i love it well alex this has been so much fun and um tell us your just your website and how we can stay connected with you just through social media and all that jazz yeah the the easiest is herrulesradio.com and that goes to my coaching my blog my you know the effort list you can download that as well so just herrulesradio.com or delicious alex on instagram Awesome. And if you guys have any other random sea otter facts that are adorable, (laughs) make sure to tag us because I'm open (laughs) to it too. I love them. Alex, once again, thank you so much. I love you, sweetie. Thank you. Love you. you.